Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We all have things we like and things we don't. Things that don't appeal to some will indeed to others. There are brands we relate to and brands that we wouldn't consider on name alone. We all have tastes and preferences and whether it's conscious or not, we form opinions based on our beliefs and experiences. It's what makes us human. So why then do we often fall into the trap of needing our work liked by all? I'm Joe Glover. I'm the founder of the Marketing Meetup. It's a community of 14,000 marketers around the UK and established very much on the basis of looking after each other and uh, just looking at marketing in, in a way where the humans come first. I'm Richard Wood. I run the marketing agency Six and Flow. I've worked in marketing for around about 18 years now and I'm a massive believer in that people should be trying to engage with people on a human level, not just treating people as leads and kind of numbers in a spreadsheet anymore. Some of the best messages of our time have nailed one concept. This thing we're doing, it's made for you. The implication is the same thing isn't right for others. Yes, it's about target market. But it's also about being strong enough in your convictions to know that if your message is challenged, you don't feel the need to buckle. So, Rich, maybe we start by giving an example of what we're talking about. Well, I'm going to start with the question mm-hmm. for you. Marmite, love it or hate I it? I don't love it. <laughs> And I know that you hate it. I absolutely detest it uh, to the to the point that I won't kiss my wife after she's eaten it. It's disgusting. I think it's the devil's food. But anyway, whichever the side whichever side of the fence you sit on, that's a brand that took public sentiment and built on the fact that there's a split in opinion. It's almost like a a, a badge of honor. Uh, you, so you're either on the team or you're not on the team. And they've nurtured a message that you either love it or you hate it. There's literally no middle ground. That is their brand position. And that's powerful because it gives you an identity and a sense of belonging. And it's something you can associate with. And that's crazy because we're talking about a toast spread. This is, this is something you put on burnt bread and you eat it. And people identify with that. And there is a, a belonging associated to that, which is just unfathomable. And... The really impressive thing about that is it's become synonymous with not being sat on the fence. So, and people use it as a, it is the Marmite of, which to flip that around, it's the Google of the condiment world. You Google something and Marmite has this identity associated to it as well. And that's where we come back to the question of brand again. What is it that makes a brand appeal to somebody? I think identity is a big part of that. And It's an identity you either relate to or you aspire to. And that's what I think drives that brand sentiment. You look at Nike and Michael Jordan. So I've I've been watching a lot of Last Dance (laughs) lately. 
best best soundtrack of any uh, documentary series ever. You look at Nike uh, with Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, obviously Tiger Woods pre-sex revelations. They are athletes that people aspired to and identified with, and it's, it's a powerful message to be taken through that. But they also alienate some people because... Jordan was a, a, a Bulls player and that would alienate anybody from the Pistons and some of the Celtics in New York. But it's it invokes an emotion and I think that's the big play within brand. I think that's where we come back to the loving it or hating it. You don't have to be liked by all. You have to be liked by the people who want to buy from you. So again, look at Nike. They made a massive, massive gamble with Colin Kaepernick. So the was it the stand up uh, for something yeah. that campaign yeah. that they knew that they were going to alienate nearly half of the American populace. I mean that's a huge gamble because I mean you had people burning Nike shoes, Nike shirts, all of these things going on because it they invoked huge emotions around patriotism and racism and the the kind of the split between the country and some of it being pro Trump, anti Trump. And I think that's that was a gamble they took. But what they have done with the people that they didn't alienate, they've created or assured brand loyalty mm. for life. There will be pre- people who are now buying Nike who previously hadn't considered them, but will because of that stand that they took. And that's, that is a powerful emotion. Okay. So let me ask you another question. What's one brand you automatically turn so your nose up at? I reckon the one that gets me beyond any kind of logic is Gary Vaynerchuk and I, I count him as a brand because he is you know he, he is fully a brand and and I say the reason beyond uh, rational sort of logic because I actually object more to the the persona and, and the hype built about Gary Vaynerchuk rather than the stuff he actually says you know sometimes I actually think a lot of his stuff is probably quite good but for some reason that sort of that whole mythos that he's built around himself, I just find myself just, I don't know, being turned off. And I wholeheartedly agree. So my distaste for Gary V is is the fact that, and like it's great that here's a marketer or somebody who, who is running a media company who has built up a fanatical following, and it is fanatical. I had, I remember last year, somebody coming in for an interview and proudly put their Gary V book on the table going, I'm reading this. There is a fanatical following there and then some of the messaging that Gary Vee uses is borderline toxic for entrepreneurs. So if you, that whole hustle culture, you have to be working this hard. Entrepreneurs beat themselves up with many a stick. If you are running a business, I hazard a guess that there's been plenty of self-flagellation in that process mm-hmm. for you. And being told by an external entity that you idolize, that you need to hustle more, you need to be doing more, you need to be grinding out more, I think that's toxic on for certain people on certain levels. And that's where my distaste comes from. But I absolutely agree with you. Some of his content is is brilliant. It is, yeah, that's the messaging. So just keep creating content, just churn the stuff out because there is that element of needing consistency and quantity. You still need quality, but quantity in marketing it is a big part of that. And he is very good at helping show people how to get quantity out of their marketing. So I think... And he is a great example of that brand dichotomy of that you either love it or you hate it. I think there are people there with him. There's probably people who sat in the middle, but I think he doesn't need to appeal to the ones who hate it. He doesn't need to appeal to you and I. He needs to 
appeal to the people who are going to buy his training services and that kind of stuff. And that works. So in the same thought, Grant Cardone is another one in the same, I, I put him in the same bracket that you either love He's him or hate him. Knob, so. <laughs> yeah, he, he is a massive knob. And but that that is his persona. He wants he wants people like you and I to have that reaction to him. I think he's the things he says are misogynist. I think he is uh, intentionally antagonistic, and I think he he pushes it to a level that makes me uncomfortable. I'm comfortable with a lot of stuff, and I just don't feel like that's that's me. But it works for him because he is doing that intentionally because you and I are now talking about him on a podcast, which is now amplifying his message. And he is using us to promote to the people that he wants to sell to. And that works. So on like, while I don't like him, his methods, I've never met him in person. So I'm not going to say I don't like him as a person because I've never met him, but his messaging, I don't like, but his methods, you have to take your hat off and go, actually, he is absolutely nailing that process and it is working very, very Absolutely. well for him. So asking that question, I want to kind of level out, is it is it a logical love or hate or not? And for me, it's, it's Microsoft. Like Microsoft have always created good products. They are the backbone of many, many business cultures. I hear Microsoft and I immediately turn up my nose because I'm, I'm an Apple <laughs> fanboy and I've been conditioned to years and years and years of feeling something for Apple and it puts me in that camp and I am borderline fanatical <laughs> and I would say actually probably I've tipped over that borderline <laughs> and it would be nigh on impossible for Microsoft to change that feeling because I have built a narrative in my own head around the user experience the value I get from the platforms you can buy faster better products from Microsoft or for that use Microsoft but my argument to that is that every time I've ever used one of those, yes, they have been better, but then they eventually break or they don't fit within my ecosystem of products. So I have a narrative that it's hard to break down. And that brings me back to, again, is Apple doesn't need to appeal to everybody. They need to appeal to the people who are going to buy those Are you products. one of these people that uses Steve Jobs as an example in all your presentations? In my presentations, no, but I would use him from like a marketing examples, okay. <laughs> but I, I take the point, but no, no, I would not. And no, I do not own a black roll neck. <laughs> Actually, he's lying people. He's wearing one right now. Um, but I guess that's the thing about like Apple's, Apple's messaging over all this time. If you think back to their ads with the, the cool looking uh, guy who was, who was supposed to be embodying the, the Mac uh, versus the nerdy looking guy who was the windows you know they were literally just playing out the narrative which sort of gets reinforced in people's heads over the course of time it really you know that one ad was amazing in that kind of way because it enforced exactly how you should be thinking and i'm pretty sure if you ask people their argument of apple over mac even these years later they probably pick up on all those things another thing that i think is really interesting in all the brands that you've named uh, whether it's Marmite, Gary V, Grant Cardone, or Apple, is the word comfort just feels really appropriate to me that they feel comfortable that people won't like them. They feel happy in their space because they know that they've got that thing which a lot of people do like. Those people who don't like what they put out into the world, then they're they're like, yeah, that's fine. You don't have to like it because we're doing this thing and it's for these people. And this is our message and this is why it's important to you. In fact, Mar might have done a really, really great job in that way because they rejoice 
in people hating them, which actually sort of turns the narrative on its head because even those people who do hate it kind of can enjoy the ads too. So I really, really love that. It's almost like a in sales terms, it's almost like a, a pre-objection. Yeah, handler. absolutely. But I think that that sort of sense of comfort is something that we can really take as individuals away from these brands. It's like if we can find ourselves taking on that attitude of, okay, it's fine if someone doesn't like my stuff, then I think that could be a real sort of superpower for, for an awful lot of people who are listening right now. Love and hate are what the, the two most powerful emotions they are they are the ones that are like the huge drivers and if you if you can tap into the emotions of love or hate then you are onto a winner that's where you start to get the evangelists the fanatics the the people who will promote who will be lifelong brand champions and without wanting to get too political if you look at mm-hmm. trump so when he won his election he tapped into feelings of, I don't even want to go to the political side, but he tapped into feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and that drove him to an unexpected yeah. win. And if you look at in British politics, if you look at the Leave versus Remain mm-hmm. campaigns, Brexit, I mean, you could look at the, if, just from a, a like a branding perspective, Brexit was a much better branding term than <laughs> Remain. Yeah because it's something new, it's something exciting, but they tapped into emotions and fear. If you look at, and this outright disgusts me, but from a a tactical marketing campaign, you can see why they've done it. But Farage and his billboard of the the immigrants coming through and a line of people and the fear and emotion he was tapping into, again, disgusting, Mm -hmm. but you can see that they're trying to tap into that raw emotion to actually drive to an end goal and it's it's exactly the same for grant cardone for example exactly the same principle he is tapping into feelings and emotions and wanting to have that devil may care coolness about him and that really works for his brand and what he's absolutely you know i i couldn't agree with you more i think so many people and brands live in that place of gray which is, you know, neither love nor hate. It's just a, a message which is like eh, kind of lost in, 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 in the noise, in the in the crowd. I think I've kind of experienced it personally when everything the marketing meetup has, has done has always been based around love, you know, and, and I haven't been ashamed or uh, scared to use the word love either, either, you know, at the end of all my emails. I know it's a small, it's a very, very small thing, but like I sign it off, love from Joe. You know, and, and, and that's, I'm not saying that I'm a perfect example of a, a brand operator or anything like that, but at least we're having that thought process, which is we aspire to make people, uh, or we aspire to show that we love our audience. And I think that's the reason why a lot of our messages have cut through over the course of time. Someone who I think does a really, really good job of it. And for some reason, he doesn't tend to live in love or hate, but he, he, he sits a little bit in outrage, I guess, which I guess would be more towards hate, is uh, Dan Kelsall, who's another Mancunian. He's really good because what he does, he's a fine example of someone who doesn't seem to care what you know about other people's opinions in the sense of he's got his target market, and if someone doesn't like it, then that's fine. So he uh, is very... Uh, sweary and very offensive he runs a company called offensive marketing um 
but that's his whole his, his whole stick that he will offend some people but the people who like his message absolutely love it and uh you can see it on his on his linkedin he's getting thousands he can sneeze on linkedin and get three thousand likes now just because uh that's that's what the audience that he's built so i think there's something really quite powerful in, in choosing a side so we've we've actually got a client uh, it's a company called Karoo who do uh, recruitment software and and they i mean they've done some campaigns that are definitely treading a, a fine line and like some of them you look at them you're like i can't believe they're about to do that and then you're like actually that's worked brilliantly so one of them at the moment is the md has got his two kids to pretend they're a uh, his marketing agency and how they've uh, basically shafted him and it's it's brilliant like it's it's the kind of content that people are happy to engage with are laughing at and it's funny but it's it's also so like one of his earliest campaigns they were i can't remember the the mechanism behind it but they were handing out branded condoms and messaging like he he got on a, a cherry picker and went outside these offices of like trying to help people find jobs while they're still sat in the offices so it's 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 stuff that is distasteful to some but actually his target audience really appreciates it and i think that's that's where we get back to and we i can't even count the amount of times that we've we've mentioned them on this series but paddy power that love it or hate it and that's exactly what it is i mean you you mentioned a, a story of one of their campaigns because you're a united fan that one of their campaigns you <laughs> you didn't like because of what they were saying about man united but that's great because there's another 20 odd clubs in the premier league who found yeah. that funny and yeah, that's yeah. i mean they I, they give a lot of stick to a lot of people but that's it's that kind of emotive response and people finding it funny and those who don't find it funny they don't really care because they know plenty of other people do for sure then i guess there's also something here and i'd be interested in your opinion of it because there have been occasions where paddy power has gone too far you know, and even alienated their own target audience. And so far as I can tell, the best way to handle these things, and, and it's probably quite appropriate at the moment, given the Durham controversy and stuff like that, I won't go any further on that. But the best way to seem to handle these things is just to hold your hands up and apologize and say, look, we were trying to achieve this, you know, for this reason. It obviously didn't go well. So, Soz guys, you know, and, and let's move on. And I, I do feel like for the most part, people are quite forgiving. And, and even if they're not, they have quite short term memories as well. And I don't know what you think on that. So, if, but if you look at it, so we are humans mm-hmm. for the most part. And if you look at, so I am fully aware that I appeal to some and don't to others. I, I, I swear occasionally, and I'm aware that that will immediately turn off some people and that's okay. But I know that it also endears me to others because they feel like it's me being more honest or more raw or kind of less filtered and that is that is part of being human we will have groups that we fit better within and groups that we don't and that is an important part that we need to take back into our marketing a lot of the time is that we don't actually have to appeal to everybody with what we are taking to market we have to appeal to the ones who are going to part with their money so it's quite interesting so this morning i was thinking about posting something on LinkedIn. So I, I do need to go back to uh, Mr. Cummins because he was uh, traveling to Durham. Tomorrow night, we're running a webinar and it's at eight o'clock, which is a bit of a weird time, eight o'clock in the evening, which is a bit of a weird time to be running a webinar. And what time should it have been, Joe? 
<laughs> it should have been eight o'clock in the morning, but uh, someone forgot to change it to AM and that someone was me. <laughs> so, um, but oh well, people have still signed up, so it's good. But I was going to post on LinkedIn something to the effect of if you're not doing anything like watching TV or traveling to Durham, then you can attend this webinar. But then I, I didn't I didn't do it. And the reason is that I kind of felt and this was from the official marketing meetup account. And I kind of thought, as funny as it is, it doesn't actually serve my brand any kind of discernible benefit to be potentially alienating part of my audience who might be in support of this crazy guy's actions. Um, so I do think there's probably a balance to be had here because I think there's a really important thing about knowing your side and stuff like that, but there's no point being controversial just for the sake of it. Balance, I think, is the key key word though because you, if you think, if your brand is has generic appeal, yeah. then there is no need to have that split. You don't have to um, have a dichotomy in appeal. So for your brand in particular, if you were to go in with a politicized statement, then it may or may not appeal, but I don't think you stand to gain as much as you stand to lose from that. So I think whereas like I had the same thing in um, some email comms that I sent out last week where I made a statement around, I can't even remember what it was now, but there was a political statement with it. And as I was sending it, I was like, hang on, is this going to appeal to somebody or is am I stepping too far? And I, in the end, I, I, with most things, I had a devil may care attitude to it. I was like, yeah, I'll send it. And, and it's fine. I think our audience expects a lot of that from us because of the way that we we have always been tongue in cheek in our blogs. We will occasionally have the odd swear word, things like that. But my personal branding, I mean, I will I will say things that have political undercurrents. I will be I will be vocal in my opinions if if I believe in those opinions yeah. to the degree that I'm willing to take a hit on something, and I will be honest and forthright with those opinions because it is me talking. So in my my weekly newsletter that I sent out yesterday, I made a joke about Cummings because it fits with my persona within that and I am a human being. I am not a brand. I'm not going to market as a brand in that newsletter. And I think you and I spoke about it yesterday, but I've only talked about two political events within that and both of them I've only just touched on on the topic I haven't really gone into any depth so I've not really given my standpoint but I've made a joke about it the first was uh, Cummings and um, him not heeding his own advice and then the first one was just a, a throwaway line about not drinking bleach <laughs> and I can get away with that to a certain degree because that is my persona and I've not sided on a camp I've not gone anti-Tory I've not gone anti-Trump I'm making a observation and a joke about something that is happening within the world that I find ridiculous for yeah. whatever reason. And I think that's okay because it fits my brand. That's it. I, I, I agree. And, and in fact, the resolution was that I ended up posting, you know, something in brackets about, you know, or if you're not traveling to Durham on my personal account, but not the marketing meetup one. So I, I think yeah. you're absolutely spot on in, in that kind of way. For as advice for people leading marketing teams or in marketing teams, I guess it's quite interesting to sort of talk about how we can decide when is the appropriate time to have these messages or how about you go, how you go about developing these messages for people. So I guess that a good starting point is probably your target market. Um, so just knowing who the hell you're targeting, which I know sounds like a ridiculous thing, but the amount of 
people I speak to where you go into their businesses and say, okay, so who are you targeting? And they say, everybody. Uh, It's just absolutely crazy. So I think the first step here is just like, know who you're targeting and, and the reason that they would choose to engage with you and the things that they like to hear and the, what, the things that they would like hearing, but then also match that against your own messaging as well, the things that you want to put out into the world and, and sort of voice your opinion on. Uh, and it's not voice your opinion on politics necessarily, but it might be on uh, the best software tools or, or the best um, thing to improve someone's life in, in the best trainers or, or something like that. And then the next step is always about, you know, just about figuring out what the right message is for those folks. And that comes down to consistency as well. Um, So, as I say, for for me, coming out with a marketing meet with a political message probably wouldn't have been the right thing this morning because it it would have felt out of the blue as well. So that consistency feels really important. I think with that particular message as well. So you, you risked, you would have risked two things there. So one is that you end up emailing some super Tories who get really pissed off that you're daring to can kind of confront their messaging and their party. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing within your audience, that would be a slimmer minority within your database. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that you risk doing is you will have people in that list who have lost people, lost financially jobs and will be hurting and then you've made a joke about something that's going on in the world. So you, as a brand, you had two risks that you were kind of playing there. And I think like from a personal level, you can get away with that more. But mm. from a brand, particularly if they're not expecting that message from a brand, it can broadside people with the messaging like that. Coming back to your point about understanding people and what they want and how your brand appeals, you got to talk to them. So you you figure out who it is you want to sell to and then you got to speak to them and find out what it is that they genuinely want out of you. So like interview them if you can, grab a few of them, have beers with them, just figure out what it is that messaging needs to be mm. and then see how your personality fits within that. And by personality, I mean the brand personality. So what is it that that brand, if it's, if it's a blank slate brand, then I mean you have the ability to adapt what that, culture and personality is going to be but it still needs to be relevant to the people who are within the business as well so you need to find that almost if you imagine like a venn diagram and that is like what you want it to be what they want it to be and what the people in your business want it to be and then where those things cross over then i think that's where your messaging sits mm-hmm. 100% oh, i love a good venn diagram <laughs> <laughs> so i think we've spoken about everything that we need to speak about on on this particular topic Uh, To summarize, you don't need to be liked by everybody. And there are some brands out there that are doing a wicked job, but very much rejoice in the fact that they aren't liked by anybody or liked by specific people. Um, If you need to look at some examples, find uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, Paddy Power, uh, Dan Kelsall, Grant Cardone, uh, Marmite. These are all examples of people who, um, or brands that aren't, striving to be liked by everybody they're striving to be liked by the people that really like them um we've spoken about positioning and targeting and also your messaging so hopefully you got some takeaways there and uh how people can also be fanatical about brands i think that's pretty good for 30 minutes i'd say my friend so i've i've got a different ask this week so normally we would ask you to go and give us five star review um say some nice things about us it helps us grow the podcast now 
obviously you are welcome to do that as well but what i would really really like and this is a bit of an experiment this week more than anything else is just share this with one other person so whatever platform you're listening to if you're listening on itunes spotify um whatever the android version is i think we're on stitcher and a bunch of others but wherever you get your podcast let's let's not go into that debate but wherever you get your podcast hit the share button and just share it with one other person that you think would enjoy the kinds of stuff that joe and i are talking about each week because we are super keen to keep this growing and to see if we can keep nudging up the the velocity of growth if you want to put it like that but and it's it's both joe and i are stats geeks we love looking at um the growth over the last what are we on nine episodes now and it is it's growing faster and quicker and we're getting more and more people comment and reach out to us on social and we'd love to keep keep seeing that grow absolutely so yeah do that thing thanks everybody take care deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.